Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an Immunities Hiatus podcast. This is in a series in between seasons where we'll be talking about movies somehow related to immunities in some way. In this one, we'll be talking about the Japanese film Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell. Though I think there are variations on that title also. And you can find it on YouTube. Just look for Goke, G-O-K-E, and Body Snatcher from Hell. And you'll find several copies of it that all seem equivalent and are all subtitled. I am here with... Jake Van Horn. Maria Burnham. And Tony Vega. All right. Glad to have you all here. Tony, you are the one who chose this film, and you're here in part because you are a Kickstarter backer of Immunities. Can you explain who you are, uh, what your internet presence is, and why you chose this film? Sure. So I love audio drama podcasts, and I think I discovered Immunities around the end of season two or season three. And then fairly soon after that, I, I discovered the Kickstarter and I thought, you know, oh, I, I, I want to support this. I want to see where it goes. I want to see it keep going. So I jumped into that. And as for myself, well, I'm a podcaster. I'm doing two podcasts at the moment, Japan Station and Ichimon Japan. Both are about Japan. And I also do a blog called japankyo.com. And thus, my selection was influenced by my interest in Japan <laughs> for today's movie. <laughs> and I do enjoy old Japanese movies. And when I looked into the whole genre of body snatchers and to see like where I could draw from to do, you know, a talk with you. I discovered this movie and it seemed very interesting and uh, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so, cool. Well, I think yeah. we'll have some fun talking about it. Yeah. And for you listeners at home, I think you will enjoy listening to this, whether you've seen it or not. I think it's pretty much unspoilable. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think watching it after listening to us will be just as entertaining, if not more so, than watching it cold. Yeah. Uh, Maria. Yes. Maria is an actress. She played Woman One in Immunity Seasons 1, 2, and 3. And the same character, now called Lilia Andreu, in Season 4. Yes. Finally got a name. (laughs) (laughs) Maria, can you give us a Lilia line from last season? I can. You must decide for yourself whether to trust her and whether to include her presence in your report. Wonderful. And we've also got Jake Van Horn, who played Derek, the sinister presence in season three. Yes. Uh, <laughs> coming back in season five. And Jake, do you have a line you could say from Derek? Remind everybody who Derek is. I do. This is a little bit before he reveals his true nature. <clears throat> well, even this baby can get old after a while. But there's a flask in the glove compartment if you want to experience all the amenities. (laughs) And what amenities they are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Tony. Yes. Was there anything about the making of this film that you wanted to say ahead of time? Or should we just launch into the film itself and do it as we go, would you say? Um, I think we can basically jump into it. It's all going to come uh, organically as we explore the different uh, <laughs> things that come up. So, yeah, go, go right ahead, Bob. Okay, cool. So we start with Shochiko's Paramount-style logo. So it's like a big picture of Mount Fuji, I assume? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And scary sort of Godzilla-style music in the background, so you know immediately what film you went into. Yeah, and interesting note about the music. Mm -hmm. So it it was composed by one of the most prolific composers in Japanese TV and film, and he also did the music for Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. So Uh, (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. 
So we're on an airliner, or a cheap-looking model of an airliner. (laughs) (laughs) And we have the pilot and co-pilot of a plane. They look very disturbed. The plane model is flying in a red sky of blood. Yeah. And uh, in the back, there's a flight attendant handing everybody identical purple drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Except for those who refuse it. And there's one American woman who speaks exclusively in English through the whole thing, though her yeah. understanding of Japanese seems to vary very much from screen yeah. to scene yeah. to scene. That was interesting yeah. to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, Antonio, I guess um, yeah. you've already kind of helped explain it because one of my very first thoughts after watching this was I am owed an explanation. So you've already kind of um, <laughs> worked, worked, worked your way towards that. But this this American woman was one of the more confusing parts of the movie for me. I agree. Uh, She she seemed to alternate between whether or not she could understand uh, Japanese when it was spoken to her. I think my favorite line of the film, or kind of jumping ahead here, but when she says, during war, everyone is miserable... I, uh, yes. I I just <laughs> I, I it was I, I wonder if it perhaps translated to something a bit more profound in a, in a different language. But this yeah this this uh, woman certainly left an impression on me. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I, I was watching it with with my girlfriend, and uh, we were like, "Wait, she she understood that." I was like, "Wait, she did understand that." It's like, wait, d- did she? Does she or does she not? Like, when the time bomb comes up, she you can hear her say, "A time bomb." Like, <laughs> <laughs> What's well, this one of those things you pick a couple words out of a conversation? It's like, well, wait, time can, and bomb. <laughs> com- conversely, yeah. they could seem to understand her sometimes, but other times not at all. Like they were like, "What did she just say?" And then the. Well, very from character to character, which makes a lot yeah. of sense. And then she runs off with the guy, with the the. Oh, the politician! She, yeah, yeah, politician. Like Mono. He, he doesn't understand her. He keeps asking what she said, and then they run off together, and they both have a conversation together. They seem yeah. to understand each other, speaking their respective languages. So well, one like, of the many ways we'll find that this movie is like Lost is that people <laughs> like kind of are always in two camps, but who's in each camp keeps shuffling yeah. back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, there's a scene later that I'll note as we get to it where she delivers a line exactly as if it would been badly translated from English. <laughs> yeah. Translated to English. And uh, like they almost more of like a British way of speaking or something, but we'll get to it. And I can just see her like, no, nobody would talk that way. It's like, yeah. nope, that's the script. That's, yeah. how, that's how you have to say it. <laughs> so uh, back in the plane, the most notable people we see at first, there's somebody who's some sort of government minister and... Uh, glad-handing business guy who turns out to be an arms dealer right who seems to be sucking up to him and uh they're put they're talking about a newspaper article about an the english ambassador to japan had been assassinated with a rifle right right the the cover story on his newspaper and this is kind of the first of the very odd choice of the very dark red Oh, yeah. Uh, flat, flat flashbacks of the of the oh, yeah, yeah. I- images of violence. This one made the most sense, and but then as we went on, it just became images of violence in the '60s <laughs> overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, expressionistic go- things. Yeah, going going off of that, um, that red sky that you mentioned when the plane is flying right at the beginning. Supposedly, Quentin Tarantino pays homage to that in Kill Bill Volume One. So. Yeah, he's supposed to really like the movie. Oh yeah, the, oh. the they said it's a shot for shot with this the 
plane flying. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. And I guess they put a red tint on the black and white footage whenever they do one of their expressionistic montages, too. Yeah. About Mancian humanity demand, they're always in red. So I guess that's a, that's a theme. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. So the arms dealer says, Japan's becoming like America. Classic. <laughs> yeah. Like the worst, the worst insult you could possibly make. Right, and, and tells the minister that he should start having a bodyguard. And the minister's like, pish posh. You know, I'm not that afraid of death. Yeah. Which, who knows if that's ironically going to come back. Foreshadowing <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. And the minister talks about how the world is going to pot in general, which... There are a lot of ways in which this isn't like a body snatcher movie, but that's one way that it is, is they always have to yes. underline that without the body snatchers, we're already ruining the world. That's yeah. always there. And the businessman's wife is in the background of these shots, but not really doing anything at this point. Yeah, and that's a theme that happens throughout most of the movie, or the entire movie with women in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's one that's hilarious, like hilarious slash horrifying, horrifying. <laughs> we'll see you later. And then... Speaking of horrifying, this bird crashes bloodily right. into the window. One of the first that uh, that first happens. Of several, yes. And just after it happens, it's sort of like there's a trigger if you go through this movie. There'll be some either something terrible that the people do to each other on the plane, or that they talk about, and then a bird will crash, and then the alien plot will be moved forward somehow. Hmm. Yeah. And these birds are, like, crashing into the plane, which is flying, I don't know what, like, what, what does a plane fly at? Like, how, how many miles per hour? Not where birds right? fly. But they always hit it, they almost always hit it sidelong, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, they're, I, I think, I can't remember which character said it, but he, he says something along the lines of, uh, uh, bird suicides, nice to know that humans aren't the only one. And it's, uh, just what, what a, uh. Throughout this movie, there are just so many unusual observations. Of, like, why, why would you say that out loud? Yep, Which it turns right. out that's what the whole movie is. I mean, oh, that, yeah, that's so like, true. The plot is like sort of a trapping so that they can keep saying this humanity <laughs> stuff. Appropriately enough, immediately after this, the crew get a radio message. Because right. this movie just moves right along. They get a radio <laughs> message that there's a... Yeah. bomb on the plane or somebody's giving a message there's a bomb right. on the plane and the bomber might be playing to kill himself so suicide right there also in the sky and immediately our main dude is our main dude the co-pilot or the pilot do we have any idea he's slightly oh, younger no. so i was thinking he might be the co-pilot i felt the i felt like the pilot if we're gonna actually bring it back to loss because i actually wrote down in my notes as well possibly like a proto loss i get i definitely got that vibe <laughs> i feel like the the pilot just definitely reminded me of like a jack shepherd type <laughs> character sure, the, sure. the one who that never at any point says i am the leader but everybody looks to him because he's certainly yeah among the most level-headed of that group yeah. yeah i'll just call him the pilot since that's shorter and we don't know yep, I agree, yeah. <laughs> yeah and we don't have to worry about the other guy for very much longer <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're all archetypes anyway but it just makes sense to me that if you're going to send somebody back to check the bags right. you'd send the co-pilot, co-pilot. But they... like the pilot would be busy flying the plane. <laughs> hopefully so they start just asking everybody if they can check their bags everybody's right. got hand luggage i assume i guess this is some sort of private like a, just a really small airline or something it's like very that. small yeah there's only like a dozen people on here in total. Yeah. And there's not like more seats for people either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is all this plane fits. 
very wide aisles, uh, which was appropriate <laughs> at the time. My, my wife and I, while watching this, kind of said, I mean, obviously the rest of the movie doesn't make a, a very good case for this airline, but I really <laughs> I really liked the, the wide aisles. I certainly wish I could be, be on a plane these days that had that size. Oh. Well, having had to film in tight spaces, I am always willing to cut slack for stuff, stuff like wide aisles, unrealistically wide aisles. So... They uh, go to the American woman. She characteristically has an enormous cross. Right. <laughs> and like a big framed picture of a soldier. So that speaks American right there. And eventually people start asking, why are you doing this? And they say that somebody else lost a bag and they want to see if one of these people have the missing bag. Yeah. And then there's a doomsayer in the back who's like, or was it a bomb? It is a fad nowadays. <laughs> was that the psychiatrist? It, it, it does later become the psychiatrist. Yes. Okay, so yeah. this this guy, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, but we're, we're about to find out that there are two different villains on this plane, one of whom <laughs> what a has a bomb, one of whom has a gun. This psychiatrist is worse than both of them com- combined. <laughs> like I, I'm a huge advocate for therapy, but th- this, this guy... This guy is yeah. not a uh, credit to his field. Yeah. He yeah. expresses amusement at the idea of there being a bomb on this plane. And <laughs> so later on, when he's making suggestions about what to do, my thought kept being, why is anybody taking this guy seriously? <laughs> I, I would be frightened of him. Wow. Okay. Just to make sure, this isn't some Scientology-style <laughs> takedown of all psychiatry. Then. No, I mean, I, like I said, I, uh, I, mean, I, guess, I guess he made me question every therapist I've ever been to, but I, uh, I think that so far, none of them really expressed amusement at the idea of, uh, of uh, explosives yeah. being brought onto a plane, so I think he's an exception at, rather than the rule. I, I agree, yeah, yeah. He, he was quite gleeful about seeing everybody just, you know, fall apart. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He prompts them to eventually come up with a better lie, which is that there were important company papers in this other suitcase. Still a lie no one believes. (laughs) Exactly. And everybody accepts that. And the psychiatrist is like, oh, well, I just like to watch people driven to their limits. (laughs) So I guess he's more of like an environmental or occupational psychiatrist and not a therapeutic psychiatrist. Like he set up this whole movie plot just so he could see how people act in this situation. I imagine he went to whatever the Japanese equivalent of the Yale psychiatry department are, because they're always the ones that were about people electrocuting each other or whatever. So uh, he looked through some more bags. We've learned more about people. Like, there's a young guy who has weird pictures. And uh, just as, like, the pilot is trying to figure out what they could possibly be, another bird smashes itself into a window. Yep. And some other guy says, birds are sensitive creatures. (laughs) (laughs) Which, that's probably the xenobiologist that we run into later. Oh, yeah, yeah. What a coincidence, again. (laughs) Yeah. And none of these people have anything to do with the real thing that's wrong with this (laughs) play. And then we've got a guy in sunglasses in the back who looks like he just walked off of a John Woo set. (laughs) Sunglasses and white gloves. Yeah. Uh, Don't, yeah, don't, the, the white gloves really complete his look. And the sunglasses, um, they curve around his face, so you can't see his eyes what uh. whatsoever. Um, so I just, uh, I, I had to admire his fashion-forward choices, despite <laughs> ruining all of these people's lives very quickly. So, an uh, interesting tidbit about that guy. So, he was not an actor. He apparently was like a... 
they call it chanson in Japanese, which are like 1960s French songs. He was a singer. Oh. He totally oh. looks like it, too. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking the whole time. I was like... <laughs> This guy looks like he should be crooning or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, like a lounge singer kind of yeah. thing. And it's a Tom Jones said, cover band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In French, probably. So that's and, true. And, what, what and I guess I at this that, at this date, he's probably not so much like a John Woo guy as the yeah. guy from the Japanese movies that John Woo himself was emulating. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and apparently, he decided to do this movie because he really liked that he was supposed to. And this is kind of changes. We, we'll, we'll get into that later. But he was supposed to die turning into ashes, and he really loved that scene. <laughs> and then they, what? they took that away from him. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it occurs to me I should mention this is 1968, which explains yes, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. It's and very timely. That's why they're talking about war so much. Yeah, yeah, Vietnam uh, and all yeah. that. And also the, and then, the use of a theremin in, in the score uh, certainly <laughs> speaks to what, what decade we're in. And then one last thing about him, but after the movie came out, then like children would recognize him. They go, oh, you're Gokemidoro. Because in Japanese, it's Gokemidoro is the name of the alien. Oh, and ah. they, mm. would, they would be frightened of him. And like, <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't really get much out of this movie, it seems. He, just kind of, he didn't get what he wanted, and then children would run away from him. <laughs> I did think, like, every once in a while in a horror movie or genre movie, when somebody goes through a transformation, you can just tell that they were cast more for how they look after the transformation than how they looked before. Mm. I mean, he's convincing enough as the hitman, but then he's just perfect as the vampire guy, which we'll talk about later. So the flight attendant, back in what I would consider the the plays only area, or the flight attendant prep area, there's only one flight attendant, so it's just her finds a hidden, a very large hidden suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) Under the car. (laughs) No one noticed before now. Which, once again, if there were three or four flight attendants, it could be plausible that he handed it off to one or snuck it in there and everybody thought somebody else put it there. But it just sticks out, literally. (laughs) So she tells the pilot and he uh, gets a screwdriver and she seems shocked that he's going to open it up with a screwdriver, but he's, he's all business. Yep. He opens it up and finds a little vial inside, which it turns out it's full of acid. Of course. Which figured a lot. If you read 60s spy novels and high-level assassin novels, there's always the vial of acid that always figures in somehow, like for getting through locks or killing people. or It's it's got a thousand and one uses. People don't use acid enough anymore. Well, uh, this is early, but I'll just bring this up because it's coming up now. Like, watching a lot of TV and movies from the 60s growing up, I thought that vials of acid... And patches of quicksand and rock slides <laughs> yes. were going to be much bigger like hazards to my life than they turned out to be. Like, but we get, we certainly get the rock slides here later. That's yep. what brought it back to me. But all of that, I've never like I've always like looked around like make sure there's a vine or something nearby that might be quicksand. I've never encountered uh, quicksand in the real world. <laughs> Or a vial of acid, I think. I, I keep waiting for it. I mean, I when I was in Africa a number of years ago and um, did a couple different like safaris as recreation, and I just kept waiting for at some point the guide to warn us about quicksand. And it, at some point, it just never came up. And, and the instructions, it was like you know, watch out for that hippo, um, but not quicksand. It was yeah, a bit a bit of a letdown. Yep. And it made a comeback in the latest Star Wars too. Spent so much of my childhood preparing to get out of quicksand. Like, you know, you're supposed yeah. to lie flat. Remember right, that. Yeah. Don't struggle. And you know. <laughs> Wasted. So he is starting to tip the bottle over and then it turns out to be acid and so he 
drops it as a normal person <laughs> would. It's true. And then it burns through the bottom of the suitcase, revealing that there's a false bottom and with a assassination rifle, let's just call it, <laughs> yeah. underneath. Sniper rifle. And John Woo guy, figuring out the <laughs> game is up there, shows up with a pistol, takes the two of them captive, and then you jump from there to him walking them into the captain's cabin. Right. So we don't get to see him frog marching them through the passenger cabin, which <laughs> might have been hard to shoot in a convincing way, because <laughs> nobody clues in that that's happening. And he uh, does some sort of gesture in the direction of the control panel and says, now you don't have a radio. <laughs> <laughs> And makes them change course, which the other pilot does in a rather dramatic fashion. I have no choice. <laughs> and then they tilt to the side. Yeah. So going to Okinawa? Is that what he wanted to do? Yeah, something yeah, he like that. To go to oh, Okinawa, yeah, that's yeah. right. He does say Okinawa. Which, yes, yes. I don't know what... That's not like flying to Cuba. Like, you're still technically <laughs> in Japan. Unless, unless, he's got, unless he's home free once he gets to an American base or something like that. Because he's a CIA guess, operative yeah. or something. The, uh, the American woman would have still been happy because that's where she was going anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> she doesn't have to make her connection. Yeah. That's great. Direct flight. Yeah. And then now he takes them into the back and everybody starts to panic. So... Somebody has a radio which gets shot. I can't remember how. And then <laughs> right. apparently turns it on. Yeah. And there's and can... talk about an intruding craft that, like, all the news things are reporting. Right. I'm impressed they can get radio service up that high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's another dying bird. Yep. Then up in front, there's a light that looks sort of like a sunrise, but, you know, like a, a, a redder oh, sunrise. Yeah. That, like, fries all the instruments and one of the engines catches fire. And then we see the model crash land in the sand amongst a bunch of sticks that are supposed to look like a jungle of some sort. And then suddenly we get the big characters on the screen, like, okay! (laughs) (laughs) Shimmering letters in the background. Yes, yes. I guess now's the good time to say the Japanese title is Kyuketsuki Goke Midoro. So Kyuketsuki literally means vampire. And Goke Midoro is just, well, there's a bunch of information about the origins of the title but basically the the first guy that worked on it the year before he just took the name of a temple that he liked and took the name of a pond that he liked and (laughs) put them together and he got Gokemidoro so yeah (laughs) wonderful and they say vampire at various points through the movie or at least it's translated as vampire at various points through the movie but sort of at random Mm -hmm. I mean once the body shows up drained of blood I guess that's when when they start thinking that way I mean why limit yourself to just an alien or a vampire Exactly, exactly. So this has all just been cold open. Oh, yeah, Jake? Well, I just have to say that the the, the English translation title includes From Hell. Yeah. And (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say for a huge portion of the movie, I took that literally and I thought (laughs) that at some point they were going to either reveal they were in hell or go to go to hell and at no point did that no hell uh... oh this is editor bob inserting myself just to say that listening back on this every time uh, we mention a lost parallel and hell i uh, think of the scene from the kevin smith movie zach and miri make a porno where they're bunch of amateur people making a porno and are very excited about the shooting at first and then eventually our only thing they're interested in is talking about lost while the porno is being shot and there's a point where they're all talking at once and then everybody stops except for one porn actress and she goes i think they're in hell and i always just found that hilarious okay back to the show 
Yeah, demons like claiming to be aliens is much less common in movies than aliens who claim to be demons. <laughs> but but it's there's a tradition of that being kind of fuzzy. I don't know. Like uh, one of my favorite trashy movies of uh, I guess it's a Hong Kong movie. Well, I can't remember which is it. Inframan. There's oh, a whole yeah, thing in the so. beginning of it where this yeah. scientist is like, and I don't know if this is what he's actually saying or what they dubbed in so that like to clue an American audience is something like they claim to be from outer space and yet they come from under the earth and they claim to be, and their weapon, you know, their technology is futuristic and yet look like, you know, creatures from mythology and yet they are smarter than our greatest supercomputers. And then he looks right at the, the camera and goes, it's weird. <laughs> And once again, that might have nothing to do with what he's actually saying. <laughs> but this falls into that category, too. Yeah, so it's so old, it's new. Um, yeah, so this has all just been uh, cold open for the real, you know, you can have assassins and bombers and stuff like that, but now the real movie starts. Right. And now we have a post-crash shot of the actual plane, which looks really good, actually. I mean, I don't know if that's an actual junked plane or what, but it looks yeah, very convincing. Very yeah, plane, yeah. <laughs> very convincing. Everybody inside is unconscious basically a girl in pose the raven shows up and wakes up the pilot just by like flap 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 not going away oh it's got like one claw claw trapped somewhere near him how it got in that situation because the plane is still relatively airtight you know at this point later it's not going to be but probably trying to commit suicide failing at it failing at it how did it get inside maybe that's his pet crow that he keeps like down underneath the the Thing most of the time so the other pilot looks dead we never revisit that he goes into the main cabin the assassin is down and the pilot just assumes he's dead and covers him with a coat right this was the the one person you should really check <laughs> not sure it would have helped in this world but we'll see because we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later and then he finds the flight attendant is down, and then he calls her name a couple times, and then she just wakes up and she's smiling. Like, that's just her instinct. <laughs> Everyone else seems to be, was completely unconscious one second, but then as soon as you shake them, they're fine. That's right, right. Yeah. <laughs> the arms dealer, as soon as he's woken up, he's very concerned about the health of the minister. Right. Uh-huh. which I can never tell entirely, even like once things fall apart between them, whether it's because the minister's his meal ticket and he's trying to glad hand or he's afraid that something will happen to him and he won't mm-hmm. have one anymore or he just really has this superstitious, oh, he's from the government, it's super important that he be okay yeah. type thing or yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. covering one with the other. Yeah. But he wakes up the minister and then the minister's like, how's your wife doing? And he's like, she looks fine. And he's like, baka! <laughs> <laughs> Which I've watched enough anime to know what that means. So yeah, yeah. I didn't need a subtitle for that. Yeah. So he goes, wakes up the my wife who kind of snuggles with him. And the arms <laughs> dealer looks uncomfortable. Yeah. The art guy, let's see has what looks like might be clay or plastic explosive, which once again, that was, you know, the little oh, right, strips of guy, clay yes, like plastic yes. explosive were also big. That was more of a seventies thing. So they're kind of ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> uh, and then he just bolts out of the plane. Right. He, he just decides, I'm going to get blamed for this, I guess. I mean, he, he never really explains what he's doing. Right, no, yeah. it was so weird. You'd think that's what he wanted, right? <laughs> he's going to yep. bomb the plane, but... Yep. He says later it was all a joke, but we don't know if that's But why does he have not. a bomb, then? That actually works. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. We know the bomb works. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've got a quarry chase. Yeah, right. First of many. You know... You know, Doctor Who, Star Trek, <laughs> and Japanese movies, adventure television of the time. None of it, none of it is complete without a quarry chase. Yeah. 
Here's we get with the rock slides that I mentioned yep. earlier. This is also part of why I thought they were in hell. <laughs> the, uh, the rocks were keeping them from leaving. Oh, that's right. Anything. Yeah. So I, I just took it as like, this is all part of the test or like where they've been taken. Um, and like, <laughs> It, it honestly is actually more. Well, now I want to see your version of the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it... it's more. It's more. It's more improbable to me that the rock slide was naturally occurring <laughs> and transported to to hell. Well, I wondered at the time. Well, I mean, first of all, wait, what is that? An avalanche? It's it's not like an avalanche yes. where yes. you know you make a lot of sound and then like snow it vibrates. Right, right. Like rock slides do not get started by somebody walking along. On the right. bottom, but I wondered if for a second, if because as everybody knows, Japanese is surrounded by islands that have various monsters on them, right. <laughs> <laughs> and whether they had landed on one, or landed one of those, possibly the assassin himself was deliberately right steering them in that direction. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> the pilot catches up with the younger guy and then shields him with his body. Just there's you know, a big character right. character test right there. Yeah. The others look on, nervous, and you can tell they're nervous because within the course of three seconds, each one of them swallows, like that was what they were all directed to do. And each one is doing it in his own characteristic way. Gulp. Yeah, exactly. And then the kid says, there was no bomb, it was a joke, because there's no fun in this world. Right. So that's why the uh, body snatchers will take over our world, because it's not fun. He's a patient of that psychiatrist. Uh, that he, that he clearly is like this was this is his way of like this is how you reach out to the world. And, uh... So suddenly it's night. We're back on the plane. The minister sort of tries to take control of the situation, but it turns out that there's no radio and they have no idea right. where they are or nothing that they can do. Which we, have, we'll, we'll have keep... we found out they're out of water yet? Too. <laughs> oh, that's coming. It's my favorite. Why? Why are they out of water? Why? I know. Yep. Um, the pilot tries to convince them that the crash was, and they keep blaming the pilot for the crash. Right. And he's like, "Though there's something strange. There was a red glow, and things came, and that nobody believes him, or no, just lets it fast." And then, oh, there's one guy who says something crazy. I can't remember what it was. And somebody's like, "What planet are you from?" And he says, "I'm a researcher in space biology." <laughs> <laughs> In '68, that would have been entirely hypothetical, right? Yep. Like they did, yep. they hadn't even found microbes on Mars at that point, so. <laughs> Uh, the arms dealer actually is the one who starts off wanting water. Like, yeah, American woman yeah, like goes back there, washes her hands, you know, yeah, like has face, a nice little, yeah, <laughs> a nice little improvised bath. And then he's mm-hmm. like, "I'm crazy, need water." I think he says <laughs> in English because <laughs> he's trying to get across to her. Yeah, so that's the kind of English he learned in arms dealing circles. I guess. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, I used all the water. <laughs> There was once uh, an onion headline, which was Greedy Mayor Drinks Town's Entire Water Supply. (laughs) I just wondered how long she'd been bathing herself back there. I think she just washed her hands. They they need more water on that plane. They really need juice or something. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just for the life light they thought they were going to have. Maybe there's a jug in the back that was broken. They drank it all. They used it to make the blue drink at the beginning. (laughs) Right. And uh, the psychiatrist, as a psychiatrist, I should benefit a great deal from what happens next. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is just a set-up situation for him. He had that whole speech. Yeah, about, the, the, like, about man becoming... Yeah, basically, if you... What happens to people in times like this? If you've ever seen the movie Experimenting Angel, or, or more better yet, read an article about it, he's basically reading off that article. It's like all, everything that's subtext in that movie is a supertext in this movie. You know, it's like... Yeah, there's no subtext in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
like we're going to revert to savagery. Just look, it's I mean, going to happen. He literally says, in the end, everyone dies. <laughs> so the pilot tries to appeal to the minister to take some on some sort of positive leadership role. He's like, Mr. Manu, isn't it important for the nine of us to cooperate? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's rarely of any use that way. Let's see. As they start struggling just in general about whose fault everything it is, mm -hmm. like we cut back to the assassin and he's reviving. And it seems like that kind of thing happens many times. I mean, I mentioned already, but when, when people, people are fighting, fighting it's like yeah. the assassin or the invader or whatever it is, that's, that's when they kind of come to life. Like they almost like they're like a creature from hell. They're like taking uh, <laughs> power from negative emotions, or like Loki in the Avengers for you kids. <laughs> so he takes. Does he take the flight attendant hostage or the American yeah. woman? I think he sort of switches off between them at some point. I think it's the flight attendant. Yeah. 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 The pilot has the drop on him because he still yes, has his pistol. She, she passes out from the stress of what she sees. Oh. Yeah, that was this time. <laughs> But he doesn't shoot. No. And the the assassin looks down at his rifle. He still doesn't shoot. And then like they're like shoot him. And then of course they do the best thing to do in that thing. They start struggling with oh, him the for gun. the gun. Mm -hmm. And then he just calmly picks up the rifle. Right. <laughs> Which I think he could just hack them all at that point. Right. <laughs> he could at least get a couple of them. But I guess the problem is that each of them, a new person would just come by and pick up the gun, and one of them might actually shoot. And one of them says, who are you? And he looks down at the newspaper that's on the ground. Yeah. And then yeah, we get yeah. our second expressionistic <laughs> montage. Of like, <laughs> and then they're all, then it was you. Like very much, much more like they just saw the montage we saw than if they looked down at the newspaper. Because like only a couple of them would know what that was probably. Because there's no one else with a gun in the country anywhere. So it has to be the one assassin that's in the newspaper. Yeah, he's got two. Yeah. yeah. That's like not fair at all. So he takes the flight attendant out, and uh, yeah, he definitely leaves with the flight attendant. Yes. I just feel like he might have started with the American one. <laughs> I don't know what his game plan here is when he leaves with the the flight attendant. That's too well. Unlike the rest, he's not willing to just assume that they're on some remote desert island just because that's what it looks like. It might actually go somewhere. But where it actually goes to is a full-grown, real, actual effects flying saucer. <laughs> a reddish-orange glowing one. And he seems to be sort of hypnotically drawn to it. I will say that the visual of him walking in, into the light was... I did not enjoy a majority of this movie, but I really, really liked that visual. I thought it was, I, I thought it was a very cool image of him walking into the light and being enveloped by it. Yeah, and it is pretty mesmerizing, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it looks kind of like if you saw footage... They would release footage from time to time where they do an army exercise where it's like, this is how our men are going to advance after we blow a hole in the enemy with an atomic bomb. So there'd be like an atomic bomb, you know, explosion and then people walking into it. Right. He looked a lot like that. And I know the Japanese filmmakers at least were pretty sensitive to atomic imagery. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So we get to see a little bit of the inside. It looks kind of like a jigsaw puzzle or something like this, this sort of wireframe and like this wavy visual effect on it all. And then we see this bubbly blue thing on the ground, which, as time goes on, is increasingly apparent that's the actual alien. Right. Mm -hmm. There was a Japanese TV show. I don't know what it was originally called, but they called it Space Giants over here. Oh, I'm not sure. That featured stuff like that a lot, and that's what that reminded me of instantly, which I don't know if that's from the 60s. Or I watched it during the 70s. Mm -hmm. About these three giant robots that come and live inside Mount Fuji and protect Earth from monsters from outer space that come. And then oh, they have okay. a little boy one. And... <laughs> they fell down on their job during this. 
Goldar, Silvar, and something in Kidar. Or something. <laughs> but yeah, and then when they kill things, they'd also turn into goo like that. They go blah, 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 blah. Uh. So yeah, it uh, his forehead splits, and that's when Miss Asakura just loses it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As would anyone, I imagine. And so we don't even find out later what happened after that, right. which is even worse. I think she stumbles back, the pilot finds her, and then she just instantly faints. Right. Oh, yeah. cool. I made it far enough I can faint now. <laughs> we cut back to the plane. The minister is making <laughs> oh, out with goodness. the arms dealer's wife, giving her a little just, mano a mano. Because no one's going to notice them the plane is massive and it's really unclear how she feels about this it's just one of these like wow things have deteriorated remarkably quickly (laughs) and then she sees above her there's a hummingbird or a bug or butterfly or something like that that's like flap 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 trapped up there which i can only assume was something they really did that (laughs) and that freaks her out as it should right so that breaks up, and the arms dealer, because step one of his plan for world domination, tells the minister there's no water, but offers him whiskey. Yeah, I found this whiskey. <laughs> Which he then chugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As if he's never had whiskey He before. chugs it like a thirsty politician, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like He's like, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you making out with my wife. <laughs> and somehow we go outside somewhere around this and somebody probably the psychiatrist just says we're digging graves for the dead why not dig your own grave too yeah. yes <laughs> yes which how many dead people are there there's One. just the pilot right just pilot. <laughs> at this point i guess he's, he thinks that death is going to be a growth industry right. on this point <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well they don't have any water no one's coming to rescue them so they bring the flight attendant back. She doesn't wake up right away, but the kid turns the radio on. It says there's no traces of the plane. They think it was a victim of the same strange incident they've been talking about. And then the arms guy just smashes the radio. <laughs> it's like, stupid radio, give me good news. And the psychiatrist comes in and says that they've got to go find the murderer. They can't just have him wandering around out there, which seems questionable. But I mean, exploring makes sense in general. But yes. Which yeah. they still like never actually do. And, and they would have they would have been served very well by exploring, yes. <laughs> exploring their surroundings. Absolutely, yeah. So somebody says, make her talk. And so the psychiatrist says, okay, I'm a psychiatrist, so obviously I'm also a trained hypnotist. <laughs> and he has, a, he has a candle just for the uh, purpose. So brings her back. She says, it shines, it's blinding over and over again. <laughs> And then she starts talking about the wound, and she goes inside the wound. And I don't know if she really explains what happens, but we now get to see right. that the bubbly thing crawled up into the wound in his head, which yeah. is legitimately yeah. creepy. Especially since he then seems to come out of his trance and he's just writhing around either in agony or in something trying to take control of his body and not knowing how to flop around with it. He does, yeah, he does it much less elegantly than Shusha Ronan does in The Host, oh, yeah. which we're talking about. <laughs> There's like a whole Sometime theme of this <laughs> these podcasts that's about aliens crawling into humans, right? Yeah, exactly, which didn't happen at all in the other, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers one, yeah. so it's a nice addition. It's a theme. <laughs> Yeah, the effect's mostly good, except there's one where it feels like whatever they're projecting it against has, like, a big vertical fold about halfway through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody forgot to steam that out. And then she she says, tells this whole story, which I would think would involve a lot of concepts that you wouldn't cover in even advanced Japanese classes. <laughs> and the American woman says, I can't believe it! <laughs> no problem at all, yeah. So it could be that she was just picking up individual words in his head. Gap, 
slimy crawl. You know, I would just assume I was misinterpreting. But, yeah. but why does she know any Japanese? <laughs> I have no idea. Like, exactly. Exactly. She, right? she so, doesn't live there. Yeah. She's only going to pick up her husband's body uh, from because he was in Vietnam. Right. Yeah, he right. was in Vietnam. Yeah. Japan. You yeah. know, and I said back, hey, yeah. you should like bring that a Japanese sense. phrase book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the xenobiologist thinks that it might be a flying saucer, which is a good use of words because that's literally what it is. It's not it was know, a UFO saucer. Yeah, would have been too vague. No, it's a flying. It, it, I mean, like a fifty style flying saucer. Right. Dude. Yep. Yep. And he says, while man has been slaughtering each other, aliens have prepared to invade. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how big this space biology career field is because he certainly does seem to be an expert on the subject. But I, I no, I mean. He is one where, of the more reasonable people. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and and you would think that his career would actually yeah help them help them quite a bit. And <laughs> maybe it's just because nobody does take space biology seriously. Um, but I also just question if if nobody takes it seriously, how can he afford to be on what's clearly like a VIP yeah. plane serving yeah. serving purple drinks? I, I... With no water, but plenty of whiskey. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And then we get uh, American Woman's story, yes. including the line, my husband died in Vietnam one week before. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, there are places where that would be correct English grammar yeah. even, but not no. where her accent is from. And then, yeah, she starts talking about how in war everyone's miserable. And then right. like when she repeats it, it's repeated with Japanese subtitles, I noticed, which <laughs> right. weren't there before. Clearly very important <laughs> message. The rest of it, they could just assume she's hysterical American right. person. But for that, we need we need that character by character no, they're not subtle subtitles either you may oh they're so giant they're like they're giant <laughs> across the, the stream but then he still afterwards translates it to mr mono oh yeah uh, so why yeah. he can't see the subtitles <laughs> yeah. yeah that's true that's true let's see they're being observed all this time by the split head assassin you know once they start talking about violence and stuff he's like oh and then kid attacks the psychiatrist say why did you make her say that we were better off not knowing <laughs> possibly true Especially if, since if they didn't talk about it, maybe the guy wouldn't have shown up. And, oh, they're talking about this on the edge of a cliff, and then suddenly the psychiatrist falls off. <laughs> Forgot about that part. And everybody assumes he's dead, but he's not. He's down there, and the alien comes up and they feeds on him. They didn't learn from the first time when they thought someone was <laughs> right. dead, and he wasn't. Okay, why does the alien need to drink people's blood? <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. This is a huge question that I have. Like... He first has to take over a body. Yep. And then he needs to drink blood to keep that body alive? I, I guess. So I can give you a little bit of backstory, which was made after the fact, I think. Um, so Shochiku, <laughs> uh, when they picked up this production, they came up with a bunch of backstory that they used in promotional materials. And, and the, the story <laughs> that they provide that I read was that there's a race that came from the planet QX, and they had very um, developed heads, and then they used the power of science to become mercury-like uh, creatures, <laughs> and those creatures would feed off the blood of some other creatures that were in their planet, but then they ran out, so then they had to come to Earth. Uh, all right okay so did these creatures they created destroy their creators in the process I, I, is it that, one of those that is or? all i know i'm sorry <laughs> okay gotcha and <laughs> wh why didn't someone think of this when they were presented the script <laughs> <laughs> i don't know 
Yeah, I was expecting to be like addition tag. Yeah. He would one by one turn them more into things like him. Yeah. But not, no, not just yeah. a snack. Yeah, drink all this blood. <laughs> well, if it had happened to somebody, I'm glad it happened to that psychiatrist. <laughs> so rather than look for the psychiatrist, they do the much more easy thing of turning on the kid for having caused the psychiatrist's death. <laughs> which he wasn't even dead yet, and they lock him in the pilot's cabin, right. which is, oh, yes. makes sense in a way, but it's so counterintuitive. We're locking you into the place that people are supposed to be locked out of. And the flight attendant wakes up. She's calm again, remembers nothing of what she was talking about. The wife says, is it morning yet? And I was like, that's a good question. It really could be morning or night at any given moment. Um, which, again, is why I thought they were in hell. Because I thought maybe time is not working the same way and it's dark when it's supposed to be late. I guess there's a certain resemblance to this to the Jean-Paul Sartre play No Exit. Anytime you have people yes. like locked up yeah. together. So that would be sort of a hell... Spoils for No Exit. Sort of a hell connection also. So Minister Mano is more and more dehydrated and crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. He's the only one. Yes. <laughs> um, then there's a knock at the door of the plane, and somebody's like, "Oh, is it the psychiatrist?" And he's like, "He can't have lived, even though we know he he would <laughs> he have lived live. if it wasn't for vampires, vampire aliens." But this leads to part of the problem I have with this movie is that I felt like every person in it deserved to die in one way or another. And one of the best examples of this is that the pilot, who is our good guy, is our hero, like doesn't really have any moral complications. He, when they when they talk about who is possibly at the door, and he calls out to the psychiatrist, "Hey, is that you?" There is no answer. And yet he opens the door, and this is, um, I know that they know that they're not in a horror film, but if nobody answers the, the door, I mean, we had a, a, a person buzz our apartment last night and just said, like, hey, my key broke, can you let me into your building? And obviously i i did not um but if i did i would be accepting whatever fate was going to befall me if i did that so the fact that this guy just opens the door when the person he asks for doesn't answer is just asking for all kinds of trouble especially if they had been in hell but you know in in general as well well it's you know it's japan it's only becoming like america it's not like america that's true (laughs) and oh boy so they yeah, in a way, this thing seems like this could have been done for like a customer service nightmares type plot <laughs> line lawyer could have made this, you know, because it's the pilot and the stewardess are the only totally good people. Right, All the right, passengers right. are problematic. Like the best one is the Xenobio guy, but even he has his downfall. So the assassin's suit, like motionless body is out there and the wound on his head gives the American woman nom flashbacks. So we now have our third <laughs> right. montage. Oh, right. She wants to save him because... Yeah. It reminds n- her of how her husband died because apparently she knows. They might have told her he had a head wound. I bet she didn't see a photo of yeah. it or anything. But... <laughs> right? Doesn't she say her husband died of napalm? Right? I've, I've always... Yeah. Napalm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A napalm bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as I recall, those were used more by Americans than against Americans. Yeah. But that could happen. Yeah. It's certainly not the most improbable thing. And that's another moment where they're like, what did she say? <laughs> and they debate whether to let him in. Somebody's like, we have to. He's unarmed. Forgetting, wait, what about that whole story the flight attendant told? Yeah. Although I guess you could just not believe her or something. The xenobiologist says things are looking bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is bad enough. But then Minister Mano's like, stop pretending to be a prophet. <laughs> There's nobody betting against you on things are looking bad. So you might as well, no, no point. The wife 
comes out. I, I can't remember. She says something about how the husband was setting up Mono for his dehydration problem. Oh, right. Can't remember right. saying exactly like, you know, he knew that this would just burn your throat. Because uh, he, he kept drinking it. He kept drinking the whiskey throughout. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, is this where the yeah. husband shows up with yeah. the, uh, the, water, the little yeah. flask yes, that supposedly has water in it? water. Mano offers him a government contract in exchange for the water, one that he was talking about earlier. And Thousand's like, aha, I knew you weren't going to give me that contract. And then they start throwing numbers around about how, like, they were going to Okinawa so that uh, the arms dealer could give him 30 million yen and, like, they'd given him a billion yen over the course of time. But, like, on the other hand, this arms dealer was nobody until the minute of blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of... They're in a different movie talk between two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait, 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 I guess the, the uh, Were they, they were also going to Okinawa? And the, yeah, the, the hijacker wanted to go to Okinawa. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was like, if everybody wanted to go to Okinawa, why did we have to have hijack <laughs> yeah, the plane? Yeah, that was my mistake. Yeah, this, um, I, I'll say, I, I wasn't expecting so much political imagery in this movie. I mean, I think... I, Have you snatched her from hell? No, I, yeah, no, no I, I, especially um, once the whole Vietnam connection came up. But then when these two guys are debating for the bottle of water, it certainly feels more like this would belong yeah. in like a, kind of a Lord of the Flies type right. movie where they're they're breaking down. And especially like this politician who's worried about keeping up appearances is already showing himself and I, I guess at this point i also thought oh this is like the the rock bottom for the politician <laughs> little did i know that he's going to keep getting more and more pathetic as the movie goes on yeah and they seem like they could be sort of tight some sort of high flown soap oh, opera yeah. type yeah. thing and then yeah step one is take them to a lord of the fly step situation but then step two is take them there <laughs> and introduce a body snatcher from hell <laughs> so the arms dealer grabs the rifle shoots wildly See, the American woman comes over to investigate what's going on, and the gunfire wakes up the uh, assassin thing. Right. Or it was just waiting until things reach this point to activate itself. Who knows? So the... I think it's that... Oh, right. The uh, arms dealer makes them all leave. You know, get out of here with the rifle, and then realizes belatedly that he's locked himself in with the assassin monster. Right. Like, <laughs> just grabs him and vampires him. Right. And I don't think he gets a... Nobody gets a clean shot. Like, in true old-school monster movie rules, like, nobody gets a clean shot on the monster towards the end so that it can be a twist that it's bulletproof. Right. And uh, so so he dies screaming, and then eventually people creep back in. I guess they figure it's safe now, because he's not going to shoot them. (laughs) And the women try to commiserate with the wife, who's now the widow... And she's not having it. She's my life was terrible, and yeah. you know, and I chose it. But now yeah. I can get whatever I want. Yeah, and now I get freedom, <laughs> and her freedom is to get possessed by this alien. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Before that happens, I mean, what kind of freedom is she? Yeah. <laughs> her comment was, "He deserved what he got," and I kind of agree with her. But at the same time, I think you should be more. Uh, worried about well what did he actually get because whatever happened to him is definitely still out there <laughs> so in a weird bit of characterization this would be interesting in a stage play <laughs> the, uh, her talking about that sort of turns off the other women the other women sort of politely look away from her you know just sort of pretend to be busy with something else and then she starts changing her tune she's like okay I guess nobody deserved to die like that and then while she's saying that, the alien comes up and covers her mouth and then starts moving her around like a rag doll. <laughs> and, of course, the others don't see this, but they're, like, in the foreground of the shot. This is happening in the background of the same shot. They're on an airplane 10 feet away from each other. And it's kind of ridiculous and kind of horrifying at the same time. 
Yeah. So things, and then does he just take off with her? I think he does. Yeah. Yes. So then they're trying to get the xenobiologist to express an opinion, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want to speculate. I might be proven wrong." Which, <laughs> which again, it's like this is your moment. <laughs> like, you know, when you bring this up at parties, people turn away from you or go to other people. But like, but this is the one time when everyone is asking you for your opinion as a xenobiologist. All right. So the assassin walks the wife back to the ship. She goes through the whole same thing that he went through. So if your fetish was all that, but with the lady, then now, now we've got that. So then eventually it becomes morning. And there's a search party led by Mano. Like people actually trust him to like do anything at this point. is amazing. But I guess without the arms dealer to undercut him, his stock is slightly up. And uh, as they're walking around, she appears on a cliff above them and then talks with this deep modulated voice without moving her lips. <laughs> And, like, it needed her in order to be a spokesman, but then it didn't... Yeah. But just her presence, not, like, her voice or anything. Right. And she doesn't have the the, the ridge, like, the broken the broken oh, face. She not? She's uh, not okay. in, uh, he's not in her head, yeah, I guess. He, oh, yeah. He's, yeah, she's, like, a different like, thing. I guess that's the only explanation that works. Controlling her from afar or something? And so he, how did the alien decide who to eat versus who to con- <laughs> con- who to convert? Um I mean, I guess I would agree that the wife was probably the best person to deliver that message, but I just want to know the like the, the interview process that went into this job. Um, He's just going to hang out there until they yeah. see who everybody's like leaving alone and then just swoop. So she explains that they're the Gokimodoro people from a universe far from Earth. Their plan is to wipe out all mankind. And so they've got to just be toying with people, right? I mean, they're just, like, saying this because they yeah. like to see the fear effect. He's, like, basically the psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what happens if we tell them that we're going to kill them all. And he says, it is your own fault. And then she laughs and then takes a leap, very much like the first nanny from uh, The Omen. It's <laughs> yeah, like, it's all for you. Yeah, but it's seven yeah. years earlier than that, I think. So maybe The Omen oh. was uh, one of the many things yeah. influenced yeah. by this. And then at the bottom, she's a skeleton. <laughs> I, I really like this motivation of an alien invasion slash attack it's not that they've depleted the resources on their planet it's not that yeah. they they've run out of space it's just that you know it's, it's your own fault you you <laughs> suck so therefore you have to die it's a very it's a very yeah. sociopathic uh so back on the plane they lock themselves in the american woman starts praying with her big cross which seems reasonable <laughs> They don't try to use it to repel him, though. No. no. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's true. Well, you know, not, not a Christian country, I guess, so they, none of them think about that. <laughs> and so uh, the xenobiologist's secret theory comes out, which is that the aliens are smart and they've been planning to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I would have been so embarrassed if I had said that and it turned out they were dumb and weren't planning to kill us. But I like the... I don't know if it came in here, but when he gave the backstory about how ever since yeah, Hiroshima... Yeah, yeah. There have been more oh, alien activity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've been scouting us out. Yeah. Definitely brought about by man's inhumanity. I actually so, thought that was one of the more plausible things of the theory because for any Star Trek fans out there, the whole idea of the Prime Directive is that species who can travel via warp speed should not contact species who haven't. So it's when... Uh, oh, is when Earth first does a warp drive that the Vulcans come to visit. So I thought the same idea applied here to, okay, they've achieved nuclear technology, so now we can visit them and examine them. Right. 
Oh, yeah. And there are multiple 50s movies where that's exactly the thing. You know, either, okay, now you're open for exploitation or you're now a threat to the galaxy. You have to get rid of your nuclear weapons or we'll get rid of them for you. And uh, somehow some people still think that that theory is outlandish because there are no aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Like they haven't seen everything they've seen, but they've seen a lot at this point. And then we get more, uh, another expressionistic montage of just warfare, just Mm -hmm. in general. And it's like, we've made it very easy for them. They decide that they need to experiment and actually see it feed on somebody. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a question of who. Brilliant idea, yeah. And Mono and the xenobiologist decide that it should be the American. Right. Which, how did they come to that conclusion? They've got the other guy, or wait, no, is the other guy still locked up or is he already dead? Uh, the kid's out. Oh yeah, so the kid with the bomb. Yeah, like, why would he, you? Well, no, he he's he's at large. You see, oh, things oh get, okay, things right, get right. very confused here. There's a knocking, and then they open the door, and it's the kid is back. And then there's a scuffle, and then yeah. the American gets the rifle <laughs> and shoots the pilot. <laughs> Which this is like one of those classic gunshots, which doesn't hinder the person who was shot oh, yeah, at, at all. At all. <laughs> I guess what happens is that when the kid comes back, they're like, "Oh, wait, we don't have to throw out the American. We'll throw out the kid." Like, but it happens okay. very yeah. swiftly. Yeah. And then she's like, "Oh, that's great." And the pilot's like, "No, we can't throw him out because he means we can't throw anybody out." But right. she just interprets that as, "Oh, so you were back to me then?" Right. And so she shoots the pilot. That's my attempt to reconstruct that scene. <laughs> and she, uh, she yells something like, I want to live! Yes. <laughs> so they lock the pilot and the flight attendant in the cabin, kick the kid out, and watch what happens. <laughs> so there's a slow chase. As <laughs> <laughs> the uh, alien assassin slowly walks him around the plane, and then the kid's like, wait a minute, I've got a bomb. And he... Pulls it out and it just explodes, and it rocks the whole plane. And then it looks oh, right. he creates the opening. Up. Yeah. yeah, pulls himself up and then rocks the plane. And then everybody's unconscious all over again. Right. So everybody has to wake up all and over again. And there's a big again. hole in the plane now. We've had a sort of reset, <laughs> but there's a lot fewer of them now. Oh, and the scientist gets hurt right in the explosion. Yeah, yeah, his his legs right. So yeah, he can't keep up, and so the pilot and the flight attendant are going to stay with him and Manu and Ms. Neal, the American, decide that, well, they're just going to take off. Sorry, suckers. And they have the gun now, right? They have the oh, yeah. Sison rifle. Yeah. The, the alliances on this plane changed <laughs> so, so quickly. Yeah, because he was part of team throw her out. Right? Yes. And unsurprisingly, once the alien shows up, he's like, oh yeah, take her. <laughs> uh, she tries to shoot her way out. I think at this point we find out he actually is bulletproof. Actually, no, she never hits yeah, him. Oh, it's like, hits. bang! This is also where I was talking about how everybody on this flight deserved to die for different reasons. So so for her, she is about five feet away from him, and the bullets are hitting the rocks on either side of him. You can miss those shots if you try. No, 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 no. He might have some sort of magnetic depolarization field. You're giving this movie more credit than it deserves. (laughs) So... Let's see. Oh, yeah. Back in the plane, the xenobiologist has regained his faith in humanity and confesses and that he's sorry for having uh, doubted his fellow people, which he all he'd been part of was that one bad thing where everybody was being bad. Right, right. That we should throw somebody out. And watch what happens. <laughs> True science form. Then uh, they go outside for some reason and they're fighting. The alien comes by 
and he starts stalking the pilot and then the flight attendant right. screams and then he turns he stalks her right. so maybe he's driven to like negative emotion then the pilot pours a bucket of liquid on him oh. and lights it on fire <laughs> yes, it's established gasoline. earlier that that was gasoline however right. like a bucket of gasoline left out for a day <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to evaporate and why, like, was, why were the yeah, buckets why? Exactly. <laughs> well this well, this, this is actually going back to earlier in the movie, but they started fires the first night they, yeah, they were, were there. Like the bodies on fire or something? Yeah, and then they the were... one body? <laughs> well, I also thought, like, because when they're talking about rescue opportunities, why would you put those fires out? Because, um, right. you know, to, to cause a signal. But they no, they put, they put the fires out because the... Um, I think it's a psychiatrist who could visit them to put them out, which again, why anybody oh, listen to God. this guy is, is beyond me. But yeah, then all that time, they just still have buckets of gasoline available. And, uh, oh yeah, that's right. So they're off the plane because Mono came back and kicked them off. Right. So Mono and the xenobiologist are on the plane. They're off. They set the alien on fire and then it crumbles in sort of a cool way. It looked kind mm-hmm. of like claymation or something like that. And then the slime seeps back onto the plane That's through, right. like, the, yes. the gap that the bomb left, even though Mono tried to, like, stuff it full of furniture and stuff like that, which is another theme. They have furniture on the plane, of course. <laughs> no water, but here's some furniture. So Mono goes on a rant about how Xen- the xenobiologist better keep quiet and not try to ruin his career. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the xenobiologist is thinking about right now it's what he's most worried about yeah and there's several times in mono like when his majority wins the thing he's like okay now let's go back and it's like no you don't understand the whole premise of the situation is that we can't go back even if the rest of this isn't happening so anyway he starts strangling the the xenobiologist's uh silence becomes more and more disheartening to him and so he decides to strangle him and that'll shut him up (laughs) and of course that that's where the uh, alien stuff shows up And then takes over the xenobiologist. And Mano's like, oh, Jesus. And so he opens the door. The pilot and the stewardess are there. And he basically pushes them into the plane and himself out. (laughs) Just like the snivellingest politician. But the alien just ignores them and goes straight for him. Which I'm wondering if that's what's left of the xenobiologist is determined that he be the one who gets killed. I I cannot believe that Mano made it to the top four people. <laughs> oh, but he's a very important figure in the government. <laughs> he has to get back there by election day. Not sure exactly what he yeah. does. It's very right. important. He could be prime minister for... I guess they'd be paying more attention to him right. if he was prime minister. But Why would he be on a plane with the, the Vietnam <laughs> yeah, victim's yeah. wife? Like He would have his own plane, I think. So they chase, there's a rock slide, and then the rocks seem to kill the uh, the host body of the, the xenobiologist, so the alien has to leave again. And I, I just have to bring, bring up again this rock slide. <laughs> so when they were running from the xenobiologist, I thought this was going to lead to the reveal that the aliens were causing these rock slides, keeping them there, <laughs> because they're either in hell or just they're being trapped, and then he just dies and i i i realized i had no understanding of what these rock slides were (laughs) nope nope it's like a video game yeah (laughs) oh and then yeah he seems to be dead at one point but then you see him again gets as far as the ufo anyway so that he can drop off the slide and then he slumps down and his body gets blown away like sand or like william hurt in altered states actually (laughs) when he's on one of his drug trips like he imagines that happening to himself 
And so our heroes, meanwhile, decide, you know what? Maybe we should check out what's in this island, like, in the other direction. <laughs> Go in a different direction. <laughs> and there's, like, greenery everywhere. And it's, like, a highway. It's sort of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers 56 in reverse, where, yeah. like, it's a normal yeah. town until you go two feet outside of it, and it's a desert because it's a California suburb. Yeah. This is sort of the opposite. The opposite. <laughs> like, and why so... weren't you going that direction to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they were unlucky. <laughs> or the, perhaps the hypnotic influence of the UFO has been yep. turned off. So there's a bunch of stop traffic a la The Stand or, you know, your disaster thing of choice. And cars full of dead people with no visible cause of death. Yeah, how come... Well, it's like, yeah, sometimes they're just drained of blood and sometimes they turn into skeletons. And sometimes they, like... There's no consistency to what happens to them when their blood is drained. Yep, yeah. No clue. (laughs) So he sees a toll taker in a toll taker booth. And I guess because he's in a sitting upright position, he's like, oh, this person's obviously... So he taps him. And of course, he's in a swivel chair that swivels around to reveal skull a la Psycho. Spoilers for Psycho. And uh... And he's been drained of blood and skin. (laughs) Right. And eventually, if they go into this building, there's a room full of dead people. Again, all on the stand. And then we get more red-tinted stock footage of Inhumanity, uh, a repeat of the speech from earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the when the alien spoke in the woman's body. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like both the 93 Body Snatchers and the 07, The Invasion, end with a repeat of an earlier line. Like in 93, it's the, where you gonna run? Where you gonna hide? Because there's no one like you left. And in 07, it's the the one I did and the other one, the, uh, the when man ceases to be inhumane to man, then man has ceased to be human. But somehow the movie is not over. <laughs> we get the voice now is even blunter and says, mankind is through. It is too late to repent. Which could be like a fundamentalist bumper sticker of some yeah. sort of like born again. No repentance in the grave. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen a man carrying that sign outside Macy's. On the <laughs> and then the camera pulls back, 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 back. And then eventually it's a shot of all of Japan and then Earth from a Japan-centered... And I, it never occurred to me before that if you see Earth in a movie, it'll be centered on whatever country the movie was right. made. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we see there are many, many UFOs yep. flying towards yes. Earth, looking exactly yeah, like yeah. that first one. And even this part goes on longer than you would expect. There's like lots and lots of them. I guess they figured out it's easy once you've done it. Most of the effort is in doing it the first second. So you might right. as well get like a couple minutes out of it now that yeah, you've gone yeah. to all that trouble. And then the earth turns red. And then it turns blue again. And then we get the end yeah. in capital letters. Yeah. And that's the movie. It's a very uplifting ending. So, <laughs> so what exactly was the alien's yeah. plan with, with the plane? Uh, um... <laughs> Because if they, if they kill everybody on Earth that quickly, why were they torturing these just, poor humans? Yeah, was this just, a, I mean, kind of like an amusement thing? Or I guess my theory was, that, you know, it's this is like there's a specific sort of trope, I guess you'd call it, rather than a cliche, which is a bunch of isolated people are assailed by some sort of supernatural thing. And they think that they're being victimized because they're isolated. But then it turns out that because they're isolated, they're the last. Right. That, like, everybody else is already dead. Whatever happenstance they thought was the cause of their problem is actually what spared them up until now. So that could be it. And maybe because mm-hmm. these are the last humans the aliens have to play with. They're uh, taking their time with them or <laughs> oh, something. this guy's particularly bad at his job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That, yeah. That's Al. <laughs> <laughs> one by one, just yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the best I can come up with. These guys are somewhat diabolical, I guess. Right. You know, and and their, their wish to taunt people and stuff like that. So, 
But yeah, it does seem like they they blew through people pretty fast. Like, you know, all those other ships seem to be overkill, but I guess that's because <laughs> they're settling. Well, like, they were all killed in the middle. They were just, like, doing something, and they're sitting in the same position dead, like all the rest of humanity. Yeah, they got killed super yeah. fast. They didn't have time to get out of their cars or run or... Yeah. yeah, maybe the rest of them use some sort of machine to kill people, and yeah. it's just this guy's, it's his thing. You know, he's going to kill them one by blood. one by yeah. blood draining. Yeah. yeah I, I no idea either, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't create a backstory for that after the fact? Not that I know of, yeah. That, I, the only... It's not a manga that's like, you know, like, it picks up the story. Yeah, I mean, it's like, they're, they're just toying with that specific little area, <laughs> and, and then the other ones are coming for the rest um, of the I did read an article I, that said that this filmmaker never uh, made another movie after that. Like, he worked in television, but they never let him make another movie after this movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. He did a, a few movies right around that time. I think one was called The X from Outer Space. I think he was involved with that one. But, yeah, I don't, I don't believe there was much or anything in terms of movies after this one. <laughs> Is that letter X from Outer Space? This was the, like, no, yeah, like my X from Outer Space. space. <laughs> you know, my super ex-girlfriend. Oh, no, like, <laughs> the, the, like, X, like, the actual X. That would, yeah, yeah, there'd, there'd, be a, there'd be a manga in that for definite. Yeah, for, oh, for sure. Yeah. The X from Outer yeah. Space, yeah. <laughs> That's a basically Yuritsu Yatsura right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for talking. Um, Tony, is there any last thing you'd like to say uh, about the movie? Let me see anything else. That one influence, it seems, was like the 1948 film The Snake Den. No, The, the Snake Pit. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. but I'm not. Okay. Yeah. No. And then um, I think, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a very interesting movie. So it, it's, it's worth checking out with a bunch of other people, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. Jake, are there any upcoming shows or uh, TV appearances or anything that we should know about? Uh, yeah. So there isn't a date for this yet, but there's a TV show coming out this year called Utopia, which was written by Gillian Flynn of Gone Girl and Sharp Objects fame. So for that entire series, I was stand-in photo double for Rain Wilson, Dwight from The Office, who's one of the main characters in the show. But then in addition, the director of the show was a wonderful guy, Toby Haynes of Sherlock and Black Mirror fame. And in exchange for the work, I have a brief appearance in the first episode of the show. It is a very... It's a remake of a British show, so if you look at the British show, the the format is is very much the same. It's based on a there's a graphic novel out there called Utopia that the various characters ha- have found and are examining, and there's some connection to real life events. So a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, it's yeah, so it's Rain Wilson, John Cusack, a lot of newer actors, Ashley Lathrop, Dan Bird, uh, Hadley Robinson, who was just in Little Women. Uh, so it was a great experience. It, it was basically my life from March to October of last year. And when you put that much time in a project, you're very, very anxious to see what the finished product is. Yeah. So it'll be coming out this year. And um, yeah, very excited to see what it turned out. Well, that's great. And you'll be coming back in just a few weeks in Immunities, also, season five. That's true. Yeah, Derek is back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I know. people were really, really wanting to see Derek again. He's, like, do a promo. he's a fan favorite. <laughs> miss me <laughs> well, I have to say I really enjoyed the twist of season 3 um, you know you it's not what you were expecting to see the continuation uh, of the you were, I mean you think Roxanne you know she's coming back and all that other story which I absolutely loved and thought fleshed out the world very nicely so uh, it was nice to get to talk to you Jake <laughs> yeah no, thank you you too thank you very much and Maria uh, upcoming projects um I'm like a stuck record because I'm on more than one podcast, but uh, for this 
this miniseries, but I am um, I'm directing a stage play that um, goes up in February at Otherworld Theater here in Chicago, and it's called Anniversary, and it's about not aliens or body snatching, but time traveling and a romance that goes awry because of said time traveling. Uh, so that's up in February, and then also producing a children's series called Make Believe later at the end of February, I think, that will be at Laugh Out Loud Theater in Chicago. So there's some science fiction and fantasy in that as well. Cool. And Maria will unfortunately not be coming back in season five, which will no. be the first, first no season, Maria, no se- <laughs> season without Woman One. You're, you were actually the only person in all four previous seasons. I, it's exciting. And now <laughs> my streak is broken. And I don't know how season five is going to survive it. <laughs> I am the glue that keeps this world together, Woman One. It's, it'll, it'll be kind of rattly. And Tony, would you like to tell us about your podcast again? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I just started a second podcast, but I've been doing this other one, Japan Station. It's an interview-based podcast. I talk to people about Japan, experts on Japan, or people that have interesting experiences in Japan. And then the second one that I just mentioned was Ichimon Japan. That one I do with a friend. Uh, we talk about things like, uh, do Japanese people have longer intestines than Westerners? We answer that <laughs> question because that is a thing that people say in Japan. So come check out Ichimon Japan. That's episode two. It's coming probably by the time this is out, episode two will be out. So, yeah. And you can find it all at japankyo.com. That's my blog. I put everything up there. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the idea for this movie and for taking part in this and for your support for our Kickstarter. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all at home for listening. Mankind is through. It's too late to repent. Dueling Genre.